Ali Reza Gulavjan is a unique addition to the national and international film industry. Ali is one of the greatest directors I've ever worked with. We are very honored to have the winner of the Bavarian Film Prize, writer and director of 2019's The Goldfish, Alireza Golevshaden. Hey, Ali, thanks for being on the show, man. Hi, thanks. For is it okay if I call me. you Ali? Yeah, yeah, this is what everyone calls me. So is it like okay. the standard thing? Yeah, it's it's a bit easier than Ali Reza. Ali Reza. Know, most people, yeah, but Ali's I, fine. <laughs> I, I've been I've been practicing. I wanted, like, in case you were someone who really wanted to be called properly by the name, I was tra- practicing Ali Reza Golafshan. Oh wow, is that right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like butter, baby. Mo, take notes. Yeah, you can call me Ali Reza Golafshan every time. In this Ali Reza Golafshan. If you like, I have to. a very important question for you, Ali Reza Golafshan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, we're really happy to have you on the show, man. And this is actually our first time to meet you. And uh, I thought actually we could kick off uh, like dedicating this episode to someone who I know is listening. Uh, a good friend of ours, Moritz Binder. So hi, hi Moritz. Hi, Moritz. Hi. <laughs> um, something that we uh, actually wanted to dive in first about with you, um, if that's okay with you, would actually be a bit about... The era that you were born in in, in Iran, because mm-hmm. I think that's a super interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see, like, you know, what your feelings or opinions are about it. Artsy Fartsy History. So when Ali was born in 1986, the Iran-Iraq war was still going strong. Iraq was dropping airstrikes and Scud missiles from Russia in Iran, decimating cities like his hometown Tehran and killing thousands. Ali was born after the Iranian Revolution of 1979, which culminated in the overthrow of Iran's last monarch. The whole government had shifted just as they entered the 80s, and an Islamic Republic was put in place under the Grand Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, who was supported by the U.S. Three years after Ali's birth, Ruhollah Khomeini died and was succeeded by Ali Khamenei. This guy had a lot of power. He was considered the most powerful political authority in the country. There were major protests during his reign during the 1994 Kazvin protests, the 1999 Iranian student protests, the 2009 presidential election protests, and general protests and strikes from 2011 to as recent as 2019. Around the time Ali and his family moved to Germany, Mohammad Khatami was president of Iran. He ran on a platform of liberalization and reform, earning 70% of the vote. He often clashed with conservative Islamists. However, the economy was relatively healthy during that time. Debt was cut tremendously, the lowest since the Iran-Iraq ceasefire. The poverty line was down, and he even helped reduce the fall of the Iranian currency. We know that Iran and the U.S. have had an interesting relationship over the years from the U.S. supporting Iran in the early 80s, then sympathizing with Iraq during the war by offering diplomatic, monetary, and military support, amongst many other things, 
not to mention the Iran-Contra affair and maybe even more importantly current events like Donald Trump drawing back from the Iran nuclear deal and the tension there after the death of Soleimani in Iraq. For the first time ever in history, a U.S. president, this time being Donald Trump, declared a powerful arm of the Iranian military, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, a foreign terrorist group. In response, Iran declared the U.S. a state sponsor of terrorism and called Washington's forces in the region terrorist groups. You're born in 86, right? That's true, yeah. In Iran. So in, in Tehran? Yes, in the capital in Tehran, yeah. So this is like, this is right smack dab in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war, right? Uh, yeah, it was like uh, the last two years. Uh, the last two years. Yeah, it, was, it went till 1988. And uh, like I was two years old when the war was over, so I don't remember. Don't remember too much about it. I don't it. remember too much, but I, I know that my father had built like some sort of shelter in the in the apartment in case of bombing. So it's, Really? Yeah, it stayed there after the war, and it was like just... You know, a place for me to to play with my with my sister. Man, that's <laughs> but, crazy. So that's that's what I remember from the war. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask because I mean, this is like it, during this time. I think Iraq was like bombing the shit out of Tehran, right? Yeah. With these with these Russian Scud missiles yeah. and uh, like killing. I didn't know you know how your parents were reacting to this or so they was everyday life still normal for them? Was it still possible somehow? Or no, no. Did I, they have crazy I, stories? I about? think I think especially the last year was was kind of horrible for 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 people in Tehran. And we moved to a village up north uh, near the Caspian Sea. Okay. Uh, for a year or so, I don't remember that either. But uh, they, you know, they didn't want to take the risk to stay in Tehran uh, with the bombings and everything going on. So, I actually lived my second year of my life in a very, very small village with with cows and cattle and everything. <laughs> but really? I don't remember a thing, to be honest. No. Oh, that's actually yeah. really. Yeah, yeah I, I've, I, I went nice. there visiting, like you know, when I was eight or nine years later, uh, years old, but. Um, yeah, they didn't stay in, in Tehran, but uh, it was uh, my sisters can still remember because they're older and they they don't recall those memories that uh, you know easily or, or frequently. How many siblings do you have actually? Uh, four sisters. Four uh, sisters. Yes, what are you the youngest? Or? Uh, no, I'm, I actually have one sister who's one year uh, younger than me, and three sisters who are a bit older. Oh my God! Yeah. Your poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best thing that could happen to me. I can. <laughs> Man, you know that. I think that's something I hear a lot actually from people when they have yeah. a lot of siblings, especially if they're all of the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. It's something really nice to balance out and like learn from. And yeah. I don't know. I, I like the idea of having like a team of sisters. True, a lot of attention. You got a lot of attention <laughs> yeah. when you were young. Yeah, yeah. The that's... only boy in the family, and you know there were, and oh, I had basically four mothers with my uh, three older sisters, and you know, uh, wasn't that bad. Would you um just just to stay on this uh, topic yeah. a little longer? Yeah. Would you say that like, um, did the aftermath of the war affect your youth too much, or since you were since you had moved uh, to this village, was it just like a normal life kind of? No, I mean the life I, as I remember it was uh, to me because I didn't know anything anything else. Another life was was kind of normal, so it, it wasn't affected by like 
danger or, or, or anything good. like that. But of course, the regime had changed. You know, the Iranian regime after after the war because they used it for propaganda purposes, and the war was like uh, all over the place and still is. Yeah. So uh, the war started like one year after the Iranian or Islamic Revolution in seventy nine. I was going to ask about that next. Yeah. And uh, actually, <laughs> I think it was, as far as I know, like the purpose of that war uh, from the Western point of view was to. Uh, destabilized the new forming Iranian Islamic regime. And That's, yeah. it didn't uh, go that way. It actually had to, uh, opposite effects. Right. So the war was like uniting the whole uh, nation. And, uh, and during those eight years, they, you know, kind of got rid of every form of opposition that was uh, forming as political parties and everything. Mm-hmm. So after this, those eight years, um, you know, they kept up the spirit of, of a war, of being in war with the Western world, and they still do. And they mm-hmm. um, they keep up the image of, of martyrs and, you know, soldiers who had fallen d- during those eight years very high. And, you know, their paintings are all over the place in, in Tehran and across the country. So in terms of uh, propaganda and how they use the war to uh, tell us, story of, of this Islamic regime, how they mm-hmm. uh, uh, sustained and with, with, you know, withstood the, the you know, op- so oppression from the West or attacks from the West. Mm-hmm. It was very present uh, during my use in, in Iran. Was that, in, was that connected to the, the death of, is it Khomeini? And the rise of Khomeini? Khomeini? Khomeini yeah, Khomeini. They are very similar names. They're similar, yeah, and I, I didn't want to. Uh, no, no. Khomeini was the you know the, the you know the first guy, uh, and Sup- Khomeini is the, is the, the, second, is supreme, the second supreme, supreme leader who supreme is leader, uh, right. still who's still there. Because I mean, I know there was there was uh, an insane amount. I mean, there's still protests about yeah. him. I mean, these protests were crazy. There was the 1994 is it Kasvin, Kasvin protests, mm-hmm. and then the 1999 Iranian student protest. 2009, 2011-12 Iranian protest, and then 2017, 18, 18, 19 general yeah. protests and strikes. I mean, you you must still have some family in Iran, right? I mean, how do, how can they? How do they feel about his rule, and how were they were they involved with these protests or? Mm, d- different. I mean, I have I have like uh, you know young cousins who are studying in in Tehran, and I have also uh, uh, relatives who are. Uh, kind of religious and uh, are backing the the you know the the, the Islamic regime and okay. Uh, pe- okay. people who are just trying to do their business and, not, and trying not to mind anything you know so there are all c- sorts of reactions uh, within my within my family uh, in Iran so so some are more like um, so it's even like it's like politics anywhere there's people who are really involved in it and. Maybe I, I know, fueled by it somehow, and then others who want to take a step back. Yeah, actually, I know a lot of people who try to step back because, especially you know, people who are above forty <clears> or fifty and who lived the, the you know who has who you know experienced the, the first revolution and who are yeah. kind of you know they don't believe in revolutions anymore. They're just trying to lead a decent life and not being bothered or not bother anyone, and that's right. that's what they try. And uh, they're not that political, and I have a lot of you know those those types in my family, I guess. Yeah, but also uh, I think younger younger people are more into into politics, uh, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, I think it's kind of always the case, right? Yeah. Somewhere between like seventeen and twenty five, yeah. 
there's usually like a, a fuel within that that people to and uh, and also you know people who can afford a good living are you know they're trying to mind their business and people who are you know having having people who are having a hard time finding jobs or, or food are you know getting more and more political to to try and change something you know but yeah i'm not that uh into into you know the the local politics to be honest so um okay i because i moved to germany when i was 12 years old yeah and, that, that's um, what, yeah yeah i try to keep up with news and you know when i talk to my relatives in iran to to, to try to ask them what's going on but right. it's really hard to to really understand the, the feeling, how it feels when you live there, you know, it's a different thing. I can really connect to that because, well, and it's, it's funny because it's also different, but, you know, I'm living here too. And, mm. you know, as much as I, because I'm, I'm also not very political. I've never been someone who's searching constantly for, you know, new policies or what's being changed or what might being, what may be, you know, um, changing around me. But I am looking into that now more in Germany as I'm getting older and stuff. But what's funny is um, I can't really escape the news in America, even if I wanted to. Uh, it's funny, like it's so prominent in in popular news true, yeah. everywhere I go. So yeah, of course, Trump I feel like I'm, Trump is everywhere, yeah. unfortunately. And yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I see that everywhere, and I feel like I am really even more so up to date with American politics than German, um, even if I don't want to be. Even I, even sometimes I don't care, um, but yeah, it's hard to know exactly how my friends or my family might feel being there, as compared to what I'm reading here from. Yeah, you know, and it also kind of makes you feel depressed because you don't can't do anything about it really. That's that's yeah, at least how I felt. You know, in the last couple of weeks or months, you know, the, all the news about Iran and everything that was going on, you know, it was constantly in my news feed, and I. You yeah. know, it was, it makes, made me feel like, okay, um, how do you call it in German? You say, ohnmächtig, like, um, you know, with, uh, out of power and, you know, you know yeah, you like helpless, like helpless powerless, and yeah. powerless. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. Well, I'm curious also, like you moved in 98, is that right? 98. 98. Right. And so interesting to me is uh, right, uh, the culture of, of, um, Iran right around that time, because, You know, um, again, I'm just referencing yeah. <laughs> some research here. Yeah. Um, like right around the time that you guys moved, Mohammed Khatami was president. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he ran on this platform of liberalization and mm -hmm. reform. He won like 70% of the vote. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, <clears throat> it's just interesting. Like the economy was looking good. Debt was cut down the lowest since the ceasefire. And the poverty line was down. So, you know, on paper... It looks like things were getting more promising for Iran and, and get, things were looking better for the people. So I'm curious, why at that time, particularly, was it your parents' choice to move to Germany and why Germany? Uh, to be honest, our um, you know immigration to Germany wasn't really political. and it, That's it, what I was really curious yeah, about, if yeah. it was escaping something or if it was just a, whole, a wholly different reason. No, I, I, we had we had a connection to Germany because my father uh, had studied here in the seventies, and uh, ah, okay. he was he's, he had, he was he studied mechanical engineering in Hamburg, and then he went back to Iran and worked there. Uh, but he did um, a lot of business with Germany, especially in Hamburg, and. Um, Mm, I, you know, when I was a kid, we traveled a couple of times to Germany. So I've been, I've been here like as a tourist or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, I didn't know that. So okay. we were, 
Yeah, but uh, we hadn't really had the chance to move because, you know, a family with seven members, it's really, you know, it's not that easy to move from one country yeah. to another. But in 1998, we had that chance because my, my oldest sister had, had married uh, s- someone uh, who, who lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. So she was the first to move to Germany. And then we had the opportunity to to, to come here. But to be honest, we didn't, uh, at least I didn't know. I don't know if my parents knew. They, they kind of must have known something but they told me pack your things for a month or two months or something we're going to visit your sister and you're we're going to be back in in Tehran uh, for for you know fall when school begins did you feel like uh this was just another tourist visit and then all of a sudden you couldn't go back yeah yeah oh shit uh, (laughs) that must have been devastating if you thought you're going back to your friends yeah, actually, they they gave they gave me a list for souvenirs. They all wanted to have like football, oh. Uh, yeah. oh like football jerseys and you know original ones because you couldn't get the original jerseys in Iran. And I made a list like for for that guy. He wants a Brazilian jersey and, and this. But you know, they, uh, oh my God. they never got their souvenirs. So. Oh, no. <laughs> but it, for me, it, it didn't oh, feel man. that that terrible. I guess for them, maybe because they're still waiting for this. <laughs> Where's Ali? <laughs> I don't know, but it was okay for me because we moved with with you know all my sisters were here. It's my been parents twenty were, years. Yeah. Where is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes think uh, think back to it because you know I. It, it, I was like 12 years old and that's the age when, when friendship becomes more important. And oh it's my just God, not, that we have a whole, yeah. a whole thing. I, I, I am yeah. dying to get in with you yeah. about your early years in Germany. Yeah. But just before we settle into Germany yeah. full time for the rest, I do have one more thing about Iran I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you just let us know whenever that gets too much for you. No, no problem. <laughs> yeah, Khatami, by the way, was like... Um, our Obama back then, you know, he was like, really, uh, yeah, change you can't believe in. And <laughs> you know what? After Obama came, you know, so um, oh, I love that, you know, <laughs> well, like but, speaking of, um, you know, U.S. presidents, uh, the last thing was <laughs> I thought it was really important to address the fact that, you know, you're from Iran and I'm from the U.S. And there's obviously this ridiculous history between the U.S. and Iran. And I wanted to know. I, we, we've touched on it a little bit already, but I just wanted to know your opinion on it or if it's something that, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. is something you you kind of push out of daily life. Because I also – it's so much information every day now. But mm-hmm. um, just, just briefing over because this is really crazy, um, this interesting relationship. You know, we had the U.S. Uh, supporting Iran in the early 80s but then sympathizing with Iraq during the war by offering like diplomatic, monetary, military support amongst a myriad of other things. Not to mention the Iran-Contra affair, and then maybe more importantly, current events like uh, Trump drawing back from the the nuclear deal and the tension there after the death of Soleimani in Iraq, and 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 then he calls you know he calls a powerful he calls the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps a foreign terrorist group, and that's a lot of information to take in. And even if you're reading it on the news in a week, it's a lot to take in. But just because it's interesting between Iran and the U.S., what's your feeling about that sort of relationship? between those countries or is it is it too much to take in and it can't affect your daily life that much you know it does i, I mean it, it depends how much you know how present it is in in, in the news uh, at the time yeah. you know we were talking about but it actually did affect my daily life you know when when after new year like third uh, you know third of january i think the whole new 
uh, thing started after the whole the, threat of World War Three or whatever, yeah, like yeah, just was, after New Year. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> like so we crazy. had two good days, and then uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Twenty twenty started all right, but you know, on the third day, it was like okay, maybe next year. But yeah, so, <laughs> Soleimani's death was like. Yeah, it was a tense moment in in, in history. I mean, yeah. but but the good the good thing is, I, I I think we can say now, like after weeks after weeks after that incident, that uh, no one wanted uh, to go into war, and I think um, that's a good news, you know, because I don't think that um, Iran and uh, the United States are interested in direct confrontation, okay. and that's what I learned from it, and uh, it does. Uh, you know, concern me a little less in my everyday life since then. <laughs> so. Do you have a theory as to why uh, Donald Trump would um, push this kind of behavior into the forefront? Like why he would leave the deal, make these big claims? Do you think it's something to do with his own? Poli- I mean, obviously well, it's his own political interest. But- I, I guess I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that you know too much into politics. But his passion are deals and making deals. I mean, the art right. of the deal was called. I, I think is, is the title of his book. And I think he's not really satisfied. <laughs> book with, with quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> book, yeah, book with quotation marks. I haven't read it, but uh, <laughs> most people haven't. Most people haven't. <laughs> Probably not even. <laughs> Not even himself, but you know, um, I think he's he's kind of you know from a businessman a point of view that he still has somehow. I think he wasn't really satisfied with the, with the deal in a in a way of right. you know, monetary values that was you know transferred and still keeps talking about the sums that the the U.S. transferred to 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 Iran. And he's I think he at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's a little uh, you know puts my mind a little bit at ease that I think he's not really interested in war, but just to make a better deal. And that's <laughs> right. Even that's, if there's not yeah. a better deal to be made for, yeah. or for any reason, yeah. just like to like, I was the one who made the better yeah. situation. Okay. I, I mean, was just curious about, do that. you have the, this uh, board game called risk? Do you play that? In, in yeah, the, I played risk. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, 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 there was a time when I played it a lot with my friends, and I think this, that's the best game to understand global politics because you come at yeah. some point you come to you know in a situation where you can't have both. You know, you have yeah. to decide to either to keep that friendship or attack that side. You know, it's mm. it's kind of kind of and you know with with time as I grow older, I, th- I try to see politics more more in a you know distant and, and and mature and you know it's just for them it's a game you know everyone's yeah. interested in their in their you know interests and for that that's is, what it boils down to right yeah like, yeah and they try to to make the best out of it to, you know and yeah and a lot of it just comes down to money sometimes of course yeah as as with all things but you know the u.s and iran uh, political history is long and i think uh they, they always wanted to have you can have a whole podcast just yeah, about I that history that, yeah, actually yeah, it's yeah. really it's, insane they wanted to have control in this region and it was possible with with uh, with shah uh, you know before the revolution and after yeah. the revolution they, they, they were afraid that they were losing control of the region and they're still struggling to regain that control and yeah um iran is has been very stable uh, despite the attacks from from the western world uh, since the revolution and i think that's you know it's a uh, we'll see 
how, how it turns out. And yeah, I hope fingers that, crossed. Yeah, I hope that the oil is running out soon. <laughs> 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 at least when the world burns down, we'll have yeah. made this podcast, <laughs> and then we can have a beer and laugh at them. Yeah. Um, but this is actually a perfect uh, transition. I just wanted to get all those. Now we can shake it off. I just mm -hmm. wanted to get those yeah. questions that were really on my mind out of the way first, mm -hmm. like the heavier stuff. Um, and now, you know, it's 1998. You and your family have she, you've just been kidnapped to Germany. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're 12 years old. And how are you dealing with? OK, first off, what what village or what city do you go to? Uh, we moved to Hannover, which is the best city in Germany to to learn the language because really? they, yeah they're they're famous for having no accent uh, or dialect at all. So Mo, would like, you agree with that? <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the pure uh, German. Really, uh, it's like foreign uh, land for me. I, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know there was a place in Germany that had like really pure. Yeah, I don't know what's in, what's what it would be. You know, in in the United States, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. So, maybe somewhere, maybe the Midwest, maybe something like Ohio or like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, like the real interesting places. You know? <laughs> Super <laughs> interesting places. Yeah, Hanover is a place like that, basically, like Ohio. I don't probably. know. <laughs> is, is Hanover, the it's the Ohio of Germany. <laughs> Learn the language and get out. You know? There's the soundbite. <laughs> Hanover, the Ohio of Germany. Yeah. Um, but like, okay, so you go to Hanover and then are you immediately jumping into school? You're also probably going through puberty or, or, or around. Yeah. Like, so and that started, must be it started terrible. Right then. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. But I don't know. I, I think my, my, my sister had a, uh, you know, rougher time than I had. I, I was kind of okay. I, you know, I took everything that, that happened to me with, with, you know, just, just, uh, you know. Uh, neutral face and simplicity and <laughs> just uh, no problem go, go yeah go, <laughs> go with the flow and everything like that. but you know i was um yeah 12 years old and it was i had already done the sixth grade in iran mm -hmm. and uh in order to you know for me to be able to keep up and to you know to learn the language i um repeated uh you repeated the sixth, the grade. sixth grade here in oh, okay so, okay but you uh, jumped right into you jumped right into going into school without speaking the language yeah that was that was kind of scary because like <laughs> they uh, yeah. my parents my parents like told me in a press conference that we're going to stay here in germany it was like <laughs> as simple as that and i said okay and then like a week later it's because we were we were already into you know the school in germany begins earlier than in, in iran right you know, we right. had we have three months of, uh, of holidays in iran in summer here just like six weeks so the school had already begun and they said okay next week you're going to uh german school what the fuck and i i know i knew a couple of things like uh, or, uh, <laughs> like what like, I know, like you know, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zahnstocher, which is toothpick. I don't know why I knew that it was one of my first German words, but uh, they said, okay, go to school and you'll learn. And the first year is not doesn't really matter because if if you fail, uh, I mean, that's it, really it, like the okay. uh, like the family equivalent of like throwing a baby in the water so they learn how to yeah, swim. Yeah, it's true. That's but it crazy. worked because when you're 12 years old, you just you just you just do it. It's like a game. You don't you know. Especially for boys, and I, that's that's why I say it was a li little harder for my sister, I guess, because uh, I think uh, 
you know, girls rely much more on communication, you know, verbal communication. Boys are like, do you play, uh, do you play, yeah, what's up? <laughs> do you play, uh, you know, football? I said, yes, okay. <laughs> and we were friends just like this, you know. That's and, really true, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, you know. I remember the first friend I ever made in first grade. We, we had also moved, but not that big of a jump. Mm-hmm. But I was in new school and I was in first grade. And uh, I sat down at a table and this guy, oh man, uh, uh, I've, I've known, I've known, uh, Colby, Col- no, not Colby Jones. Cody Coleman? No. <laughs> Something, like that. Something like that. Oh man, that's good. Caleb Null. <laughs> Caleb Null mm-hmm. was my first friend at the new school because we sat down at that table and he was like, hey, do you want to see this scab on my knee? <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> and then he lifted his shorts and showed this bloody knee and I was like, cool. <laughs> we were friends yeah. from first grade until we graduated. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy for boys. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Oh man. And, <laughs> and, um, and so the language came, came eventually like kind of on its own through, through this yeah. fresh. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember when I, you know, the, the time when I was, when I was like said, okay, I now know, yeah, know I how to speak German. It was just at the time I could, I, you know, I, I could speak German. But uh, you know, I was uh, I was fortunate to have parents who 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 did speak German and uh, who could you know support me at home and mm-hmm. uh, try to. Uh, they both spoke fluent German. Yeah, because they lived they lived here in the seventies, like for six years or so. And ah, so, okay, uh, that long. Yeah. Oh, okay. So and uh, you know, especially my father was really behind you know you know trying to push me and to get better in German because you you reach very easily like the you know a level of of of, of you know knowledge of a language where you can communicate easily and everyone understands you and you can more or less understand everything and that's like the ninety percent but yeah. for the rest ten percent. You need someone to kick your ass, basically. That's you know, really to, true. Um, and it was my father who had uh, had he himself had an accent, but he knew what uh, was you know what the sound of what is German without accent. So okay. he he tried to push me there. So he said, "No, no, it's not really. You're not really there yet. You have to you have to try harder." And um, yeah, it's interesting that you say that though, because I think since I've been learning. Because I, I didn't start learning this, trying to learn this language mm-hmm. until I was already 25. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed too is there's um, there's definitely this plateau that you're talking about around the 90%. I've seen that in a few people who are ahead of me, but I think there's even even a few more plateaus. Like there's mm-hmm. definitely okay, I'm I'm comfortable now, um, like going to places by myself and ordering something. And maybe having like an interaction where someone asks me the directions and that's enough for like, okay, that's my plateau. Now you need like another kick in the ass to get to, okay, I'm starting conversations with someone or I'm like allowing them to not know that I speak a different language yet. And then you have this other, but it's so many, so many levels to to doing this. It's, It's crazy. I really wish that we would have been forced to, I mean, maybe German wasn't, didn't make so much sense uh, living in, in New Orleans, but I, I don't understand why they don't put Spanish with the, with these kindergartners, with these first graders. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make yeah, sense. I, I know a lot of Americans who don't speak the second language because, you know, with English, you can, you know, it's fine everywhere, you know, so there's no, no need really. Actually, I, I have to think of one, one, uh, one scene I, I, I saw in, in Paris like 10 years ago. I was in, uh, I was there as a tourist and I was waiting in line for, for a counter to buy tickets for, for the subway. Mm-hmm. And they were in front of me, there were like 
couple of young men from from Britain, and they wanted to to order, you know, to to buy those tickets. And they were they were talking in. The, I don't know where they were from, from Manchester or something, but they had <laughs> this real. I'm not sure if you would have understood them, you know, because it was oh, just really, super strong accent. Yeah, super strong accent. But in their eyes, it was English, you know, the international language. And <laughs> this poor woman, uh, and French woman who was sitting there at the counter, didn't understand the word. Where they were like repeating, "Want this?" I don't know how I can't, I can't, uh, uh, you know, imitate it. But uh, yeah, it was kind of ignor- <clears throat> ignorant to to think that just because it's English, even if, if it oh, was man. like. Uh, but it's also the thing Germans do when 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 foreigners. Foreigners don't understand them; they just speak louder. That's true. <laughs> I've I've experienced that. And <laughs> and the funny thing, I had a phase too where, uh, like, my second year here, I was spending a lot of time with Germans, and I was trying with German, but still way too shy. Yeah. And I had this thing where I was trying to communicate with Germans who didn't really speak English well at all. Mm-hmm. And I found I, w- I was starting to hear myself speak my own language differently. Mm-hmm. I would speak English with them, but. I would maybe yeah. say it um, maybe a little differently. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was like, why, why do I have an accent all of a sudden? <laughs> you know, I would hang out with like the, these three guys all the time. And then the next day I'd be by myself and I'd hear myself say yeah. it to a friend on the phone. And he's like, you sound weird. <laughs> I, like, I do sound weird. What am I doing? God. Yeah, but there's definitely something like international uh, English now. I mean, you yeah. can you can set your Siri or Alexa device or whatever it is to to Indian English, which a friend of mine did. <laughs> really? yeah, it's so cool. You gotta try. I love that, that accent. I did it. I, okay, it's probably too offending to because I'm from Iran. Maybe I'm allowed to do. I think it. you're allowed to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Mo was doing it before you came in, and he's really good at it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> No, oh, but man. you should try that. It's it's fine. Yeah. Did you um you know when you came to Germany at twelve, like how long did it take before you got an interest in uh in like the arts or filmmaking? Were you already interested in, in Iranian filmmaking, or did no, that come later? F- filmmaking, not at all, to be honest. I I started uh, or just you know, like films. No writing was 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 my thing. I, I when I was like nine or ten years old, mm-hmm. without anyone uh, pushing me or you know in, inspiring me or anything, <laughs> I, I took a pen and started writing like poems or short stories just for myself and I guess if we hadn't moved to Germany I've, I've, I've probably become a writer in, in for you know in Persian language but uh, if we if it stayed like a novelist here, or probably yeah something like that That's uh, cool. uh, that was like my you know my my interest in in reading and writing uh, grew uh, and then we suddenly and that's probably the tragic part we suddenly moved to Germany and you know you go to school and you have to speak a language where you don't even know the word for bread you know so yeah it's, you, had it's it kinda, all t- you had it kind of taken away from yeah you, right? and it's hard to write a poem when you don't even know the word for bread so uh, it you know it was you start at, at zero again and so the I think my if I had any, my talent for for writing and or language was was taken away for a couple of years, and maybe that's why I you know f- started uh, becoming more and more interested in, in images and or visual storytelling, uh, right. something like that. Yeah. You actually you had um, a moment of you had a moment like this in your in your acceptance speech, mm-hmm. right? You you talked about how like having the language. Uh, taken away, m- maybe pushed you more towards towards visual mm-hmm. storytelling, right? I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think. It's, but when did you get into um, like? Were there any 
it, were you watching any like American films or English films or Iranian films or anything? Oh yeah, I mean American films, of course, like like every film. But I'm not one of those filmmakers who, who can can tell a story about how they find an eight millimeter camera on the, in the attic and started <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> no, 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 very, no. <laughs> very young age. I started actually making films when I was 16 or so a good friend mm -hmm. of mine had a digital camera and we want we had to do a presentation in school and we asked our teacher if it's okay to do a short film instead of just you know standing in front of the class that's cool and um, yeah we did something it, it was called uh, Urlaub Vacation yeah, uh, yeah. like a nonsensical title I guess and it was about what we do in you know in our free time and mm -hmm. you know making movies became became then the thing that we did uh, for, ah, the, that's for cool. the next you know next years uh, to do in our free time so that was like the um, yeah spark for uh, starting yeah to to look at films more um, yeah you know in another way and to be more interested about you know the craft behind it Yeah, and I remember, you know, American filmmakers, especially uh, the Coen Brothers, are really important to to me because that's so how you, they're I, your favorites. Yeah, kind of. I, yeah. I think they're you know all uh, constant, you know, constant inspiration. I, I always uh, go back to their uh, films and they've been like them. consistently good for a really yeah. long time. Yeah. I think there's yeah. only I think there's only two films maybe that I could forget that they mm -hmm. made, but the rest of it is just yeah. gold. Yeah. I mean, my at least for me. Yeah, it was a time when uh, I didn't know what a you know director was back then. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and and I know that uh, you know I, I zapped around TV and you know that that mm -hmm. was the way I watched movies. I didn't you know wasn't interested in particular directors or anything. So I watched whatever they showed us on TV. Right. And there were like three films that I really liked, and I, just by uh, you know just by chance I I saw. That they're all made by the same guys, Joel and Ethan Cohen. What were the three films? Uh, I, one was um, the Hot Sucker Proxy. Uh, oh, one, yeah, and uh, which is an underrated Cohen film. It is underrated, <laughs> yeah. man. I, I don't even remember that one. Yeah. Sometimes that was, I think, Arte. The Arte Channel showed it, and the, another one was uh, Raising Arizona. With, oh, that's that's uh, one of seriously the one of the best ones. Yeah, and I think the other one was Barton Fink or Fargo. I don't quite that's like really it. early Coen Brothers yeah, stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then I saw, oh, okay, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. So I guess, you know, directing is important. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it does kind of, you know, affect how the film turns out. And right. I became more interested in, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the job of a director and, and making movies. So let's say that you, you know, you're making these short films with your friend and you get through high school and you feel comfortable. You're, you're, you're totally immersed in your language. You're just a, you're just a German now. Yeah, I, I, and I you know, by that, that point, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, how you know when did coming to Munich get involved, and mm -hmm. when did you decide, you know, you want to try and apply for the HFF, the HFF, the film school? Yeah, I was um, actually I wasn't. I mean, I did a couple of short films during uh, school before before um, in high school, uh, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak, and but I wasn't sure if I really wanted to. You know, there are a couple of film schools in Germany and I had, you know, looked up uh, uh, all of them. And Half F München was uh, the only one that I was interested in for uh, for uh, to apply. Why is that? 
I don't know. I think uh, because of that, you know, back it was like around 2006 or so, and it was when Life, the Life of Others came out and uh, yeah. won won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, and also they had like you know legends and alumni like Wim Wenders and uh, I think. Uh, Werner Herzog has had some, right, some connection Herzog, yeah. connection with the university, and, right? You know, Bernd Eichinger. So they had they had they had all those names, and they had you know, for for in my opinion, the, the perfect balance between uh, uh, you know, uh, com- commercial filmmaking and uh, uh, art artistic filmmaking so that you know other film universities were like either into too much into for my taste into artistic or art house filmmaking or in too much into commercial filmmaking so but then i i okay i i i started actually in hamburg uh, we only lived in hannover for three years and moved to hamburg and in hamburg i had st- started studying philosophy and okay, i started philosophy for two years and applied um for the University of Film in Munich mm-hmm. and hope to, you know, get, um, um, what do you call it, to get... So to, uh, get uh, accepted, to, to get accepted. To get accepted, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, actually about HFF, how, how does one apply? Like, did you make a... Did you have to make a short film, or did you have to write something to submit to them, or uh, both? They they have both. like a you know of a form of uh, you know questions and uh, you know tasks you have to you have to do like you have to write a short expose for a feature film, three or four pages. Okay, and they give you subjects, or they actually give you four subjects, and you can choose one of them to 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 base a short film or short story about. Okay, and um, yeah, um, and also you have to you know answer questions like who's your favorite filmmaker, and if you have. Are they the really chance, judge like, you on that? I don't know. Well, for like Steven Spielberg, <laughs> <laughs> like he can't come in. Yeah, Fucking like we kick him out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. I don't know. But there was this question: if you had the chance uh, with. Uh, uh, which German producer would you want uh, to work? And I said, I don't know what the producer does. I was quite honest with him. <laughs> with yeah, the, I mean, at, least at that time, I did not say that's why I'm applying for this university. I wanted to find out about yeah. what this job is. So, but it was okay for them that I didn't have it. I think I that, uh, at least yeah. that's at least that's yeah. good. Yeah. It's it's pretty often the case I find at least around um, music schools or film schools. There's this level of uh, if you don't know it, then you don't belong here. Yeah. It's like, but I came here to educate yeah, myself. That's true. <laughs> I came here to learn about that's it. It's, it's so clicky sometimes, but um, but that's cool. So you you, you made you, you filled the expose and you made this this little uh, project yeah. for them, and then yeah. you said the first time they said no. Yeah, the first time. Actually, that's the first step. And then uh, there is a second step. So they invite like 30, they they accept for directing, or I think there's except somewhere around nine uh, students each year. Oh, okay. Uh, And then uh, they have like, I don't know, hundreds of uh, applications. And then from uh, out of those applicants, they choose like 30 uh, applicants and invite them to Munich and then they have workshops and and group sessions with. with these people and then you know you, you like kind of a laboratory situation where you really look look exactly how you how you how you're in you know in, as in a team and and then the, you know they you know after a couple of weeks they let you know if you've been chosen or not and i was 
invited the first time mm-hmm. and they said you're uh we've chosen nine people but you're in the list on uh, number 10 so oh, if any <laughs> any any of those applicants says no i don't want to you know have the uh Magically, yeah. one of them got sick. Yeah, just or, coincidentally. Yeah, yeah. I applied, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to actually <laughs> change my mind or something. Then it was. I can time. imagine, like, <laughs> with the gun to his head, he's, he has, he's sweating, like, I don't want to go anymore. And you're like, you motherfucking right, you don't want to go anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, they said apply in next year, and it, if you don't mess it up, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. probably going to work out. And it did. If you don't mess it up. <laughs> That's crazy, man. So, uh, how many um, how many years is the school program? Uh, how long is it? I mean, it's designed for four years, but um, most people study more than seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah, but it's not like <laughs> you. Crazy. But it's not like you study, you know, every right. day. You know, you, right, most, right. After three or four years, you you, you kind of find jobs out outside and try right. to write you know sitcom pilot here or whatever right. uh, but uh, and you wait like the big moment which is then your diploma film to to get out as your as your uh like you know reference or, or yeah, your, like your, your thesis card your thesis like card your, you know or whatever and, and to show off and say okay here i am i'm ready <clears> for uh, to make films outside and, and for the market um so how long were you there actually? i was there uh, ten years. Ten years. Yes. <laughs> man, I love I love education in Europe. Yeah. Man, it's, so dreamy. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I started two thousand and eight, and I got my diploma in two thousand and eighteen, and I had to leave the school because I had the chance to. Um, they said you couldn't make, live there anymore, and the yeah, make yeah. my future film. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine you with like a, a mattress under the stairs, like Ali. Yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was, it's, it's, I mean, they, it, they're trying to change it because, um, uh, you know, trying to speed up a little the, the, um, for, for everyone, especially, you know, if, you, if you're studying uh, production, they're actually on time. So they get out of the university after four years. I don't know how they do it, but they're just like, they think f- from the beginning more economical, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, directors, yeah. directors are like, "Oh man, I don't know. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting for inspiration. I don't know what, yeah, what to write next or anything." Well, how, how many projects would you say that you worked on there? I made uh, like officially three short films. Right. Um, uh, the last one was not that short. It was like uh, forty-five minutes okay. and a couple of you know workshop small movies or short films that you know okay not worth mentioning really but uh, yeah I started uh, working on uh, on a sitcom pilot actually for for German television channel mm-hmm. uh, which was not part of uh, of the film school mm-hmm. and then um, you know I started working outside but I still was inscribed at the school you know that's that's, right. that's how those 10 years come come together I wasn't there like every day but um, <laughs> I'm gonna imagine that you were <laughs> Just every single day. Every single day. Hey, Ali. You know, (laughs) same same table, same black coffee. (laughs) Classic. Yeah. But then I had the chance to to write a feature comedy, and that was my way out (laughs) of the film school. Um, Yeah, because I mean, I was going to ask, what are the what are the steps kind of lead? I mean, obviously, we want to talk about the goldfish a little bit, and what are the steps leading from? Leading from school to getting this chance, I mean, did you already have the the concept or a short or something, or how did how did you get in touch with, or how, how did it how did it 
Tell us the magic trick. The magic trick. Tell no, us the secret. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I was uh, I was at the right uh, time at the right place. Right. Yeah. Say, yeah. Right place. Right time. Right, yeah. And uh, I had uh, my last short film, uh, the one I uh, told you about, which is forty five minutes, was called Behinderte Ausländer, which is hard to hard to translate. It means like handicapped foreigners. Handicapped foreigners, basically. Yeah. yeah which is uh, which could be a uh, you know said in an insulting way, but, right? Uh, Right. If you say it in the proper way, it's yeah, you not mentioned so that in the, it's it's used yeah. it's actually used as a joke in, in the goldfish, right? Like how they pronounce yeah, yeah. the disabled yeah, people yeah. who are disabled. That's true. Right? It's, it's like it's like the word Jew, you know. It yeah. depends really how depends who, uh, who, who it's coming out of and how out, they say it. How to say it? Yeah. And um, it was it was a story of a young uh, Turkish immigrant who uh, who uh, you know is. Uh, sitting in a wheelchair and, um, you know, it had, it had these uh, topics about, uh, people with disability. And the producer of the goldfish, uh, Justina Musch, uh, saw that, uh, short film and she, uh, she, she wrote me if I'd be interested in writing just an expose for the beginning because, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't clear who's going to direct it. She said, okay. uh, "She said you're in a no name, obviously, and you have the chance to write we it." We like and this idea. We like this yeah. world you built. Yeah, and Can she had see? she had the she had this idea of 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 someone uh, taking advantage of group of dis people with disability to. Uh, you know, smuggle something over the Swiss German border. That was her basic idea, and she wanted to to build a story around it and ask me. And uh, it was, you know, expose ten pages, and then treatment twenty, thirty pages, uh, first draft hundred twenty pages. So it right. started, uh, you know, <clears throat> quite normal and then then liked uh, the script so much that she started uh, bringing my name into into the game you know when it came to uh, who's going to direct this um, but you know I, I did write the script not for me not for a debut or you know first feature film obviously because they said you know, go wild. It's going to be a, a big budget German comedy, you know, big budget for German. Uh, so they, they already told you that pretty early on. Yeah, she was, she was quite, she was quite uh, honest to me. She said, I, I don't, she, she said in our first meeting, I don't, that, that she doesn't think that she's gonna, she's going to be able to, you know, uh, push me, push, you know, uh, my name as a director into the game and you okay. know, make it able for me to to direct it and she said uh, if if I'd still be interested I mean it seems super risky right I mean to to use a, a No they, they were still going to pay me as a screenwriter so I said okay for the writer's cool yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so it wasn't big that big I mean, of that, a risk that's and cool on its own that's yeah, a huge yeah. step on that, its own yeah. I said that's I'd be glad to write it and you know if it turns out well then maybe next time maybe you know the, the third But the goal script. for you was like eventually yeah, if this yeah. opens a door I'd love to direct something I didn't I, I said I really started writing it without, you know, trying to trick them and somehow bring myself into, the, you know, like trap a, yourself a, within the story. Yeah, I said, of. okay, you know, I'm fine with it, and I'm not going to direct it. I'm pleased to, to write to the script, and I, it, it kind of opened, uh, you know, my creativity in a way that I was more flexible in writing scenes that I hadn't written before. Because when you know it's going to be your film, you know, the next film and your filmography, right. uh, you take yourself a little too serious, you know. <laughs> and when you you know, when you think you try to be more, you know. Supporting someone else's vision potentially. Yeah. Right? And when like, they say, okay. It's a story we pure. Yeah, yeah, you know. And she said, like, I, I, I like to the story to end in a, you know, uh, 
fun fun park or something you know it was like oh she just, told you that yeah just like an idea oh, okay. said, wouldn't it be nice and I said I don't know you know how I could send this group to a fun you know they're in the middle of nowhere but uh, okay I, I'll think about it and figure out a way how how the you know climax of the story could take place in uh, uh, yeah in, in, in a fun park yeah uh, so um It, it you know you go places where you usually don't go when you write just for yourself and it was a good experience and after you know after all they they liked the script so much that they uh, trusted me with uh, directing it and that's uh, incredible i mean what was the news like when they said okay we we love this and we think we would like you to direct it it was It was terrifying and <laughs> yeah, also right. felt good at the same time, you know, because I, I, I took the script and reread it and I was like, okay. This sucks. <laughs> I got to rewrite it. Yeah. <laughs> Who wrote this shit? You know? It was like, because when you don't think about, you know, it, you, it's easy to write, you know, the car crashes and turns around seven times and, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, can't just write it in a minute. You're like, But that then, happens. Yeah. And now you're like, then, but yeah. what does it look like? Yeah. And you oh, got to tell, you know, every department what to do. And so, so it was, it was kind of a, you know, challenge really. It was, it felt like to, for me as a director that I had to, uh, adapt it, you know, a screenplay that someone else has written had written well uh, after you found out that you were directing it um did you have did you have or in the process of writing it actually mm-hmm. did you have um other versions of the story or other i mean obviously you have to change things as you go along but did you have any like major major changes where you were scrapping a whole plot line or a whole character arc or something oh yes so uh you know you're had, like this doesn't work at All yeah, anymore. we had we had difficulties um, finding the main plot or the main the reason why he has to go to Switzerland to okay. uh, smuggle. Smuggle is it the right word? Yeah, say, uh, yeah. Know, I'd say he to, smuggles the, the money the, to smuggle yeah, the like, money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Smuggles. Uh, where, I guess know. it's been enough time. We could we can kind of spoil the story, right? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I, I was going to ask actually, but since you're already kind of doing it, I thought, well, maybe it's actually <laughs> fine. I mean, yeah. people probably haven't, it's, it's out now, but they've had enough time. Yeah. I think. Okay, cool. Because I wanted to talk about <laughs> some of the details. <laughs> well, let's go. Like, no, let's not talk about the end. <laughs> no, but, um, well, that's cool. And how long did it take for you to finish? Like from, from concept, I mean, because yeah. if he had the short already, of course, but like mm-hmm. going from concept of, of, of Oliver and like building something up here, To them saying, okay, we start shooting, you know, next week or something. How long did it take for you to finish the whole script and say this story is 100% done? I, uh, I think somewhere around two years or so. Years. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, in, in the meantime, I had written another script, uh, which, uh, uh, which wasn't uh, made or filmed. But, uh, you know, one year and a half or so, uh, I, was, I was writing, I was working on the script. Plus pre-production, plus shooting and editing, two, three years, I guess, or even more. Yeah. Did you? Um, did how? I guess because I don't. I also don't really know this process from the director's standpoint. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, they give you like Vinamon and Berg gave gave you the context of like how they where it wanted to end and and whatever. But were they keeping you updated with like how much budget? you were able to work with like from the very beginning or was that something that you had to kind of fight for? Like, what was it? Was it a struggle for budget? Because I mean, movies like this, especially when it's original content. Yeah. 
you know, what was um, that like? No, we didn't talk that much about the budget, to be honest, which is a good sign that I had a really good producer. So uh, yeah. uh, Justina was keeping me uh, in distance, you know, from all these, you know, technical and financial st- financial staff stuff. And um, I was, um, you know, sometimes they told me we got to we got to think of a way how to do this stunt without uh, just with one car, because if, if you've seen the beginning, we have this mm-hmm. crash with the Maserati and yeah. US productions, Hollywood productions usually have like four, four or four or five Maseratis. If, you know, the first not on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if the you know, first day t- doesn't work or, you know, the director wants another, you know, an alternative shot or whatever. Yeah. And things like that, of course, they tell you, OK, that's within our budget we can afford only one and uh things like that but uh, i wasn't too in too much involved in in making decisions about about you know financing and budgeting and everything was the car flipping the most expensive stunt in the whole thing as stunt yes it was the most expensive stunt yes but it was yeah we had a couple of stunts we had we had a lot of we had actually uh something that's called um top drive uh, so you rebuild, uh, you, you modify the bus in a way mm-hmm. that uh, the stuntman is sitting on the roof and uh, steering from from the top. So that's why. Really? Called, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So the the actors can sit, you know, behind the wheel in in in, in the bus. Yeah. And pretend like they're driving, but actually someone someone sitting up on the roof is 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 steering oh. the car. So that was also expensive. That's but super interesting. I, yeah. I had seen that before. I think. Yeah, they they, they do it a lot, and it's uh, in in America, of course, because they have they have the budgets, but. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing because you don't have to cut from here and there, so you can actually turn around with a camera, and uh, you really have the feeling as uh, as an audience that they're driving and one hundred percent, and yeah, uh, that's it's really happening now because it is happening. It's, but, it's yeah, it's seamless. Actually. Magically, someone's you know steering from from the <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I, I, you know, with films like this, with um. Sometimes the story always boils down to, I mean, obviously there was a different situation here. You had some really nice companies backing it, but, um, you know, often with things like this, the biggest struggle would have been budget. Mm -hmm. Do you have an interesting perspective from, from the director and the writing standpoint as like what the biggest struggle might've been for you or for the film actually, like where, what could have slowed it down or what could have made it harder had things not worked out this way or, Mm -hmm. I, oh, I have to think about it. It's not. It's a. It's a, it's a difficult question because um, so many things can go wrong when you're filming. Of you course, know, yeah. like I, everything. Let, let me try to make it clear. Yeah. Like, I don't mean like you know, if a cast member had a had an actual yeah. accident before shooting or something mm-hmm. that would just cost a lot of money or re, reshooting things. But like, um, you know, were you afraid? Were you afraid about um, spectatorship or about? Um, were you worried that people wouldn't welcome it because of? Uh, being a new name or something yeah of course not not because because i'm a new name because i'm not that experienced with with filmmaking especially comedy comedy wasn't like uh i, I didn't consider myself as a funny guy in my whole <laughs> life to be honest so <laughs> they try, you know they gave me this opportunity to write a comedy so of course you're you're anxious if it's gonna be, and you know you can't when it's when it comes to laughing you can't just say Oh no, they didn't understand. You know, the audience didn't understand it or anything. Either right. they laugh or they don't. So that's like you know, hard currency. It's like you know, you can't just 
say, okay, you didn't find it funny, but how, 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 how make it, made it feel or something. <laughs> yeah. You can't just um, talk, you know, either you laugh or you don't. So, it, of course, when, when it came to that, we had a um, test screening, uh, af- you know, after a couple of months of editing. And that was the most, um, yeah, interesting or yeah, I was. That was my most vulnerable moment in the, in the whole process of making this film because suddenly yeah. they had this big, big theater filled with four hundred uh, people I'd never seen before, and yeah. they they come in and they they just you know they just told that they're gonna watch a comedy if they have if they have the time and yeah. and now you show them what you've been working on for the past three. What years. was that like the first screening? Fortunately, it turned out really, really great. And, and that's. I was, mean, uh, how could how could you not like this scene with uh, with Eddie and Ollie when he when he says, "I don't want three hundred, I want 500 yeah. and he's playing with the ramp. Yeah, I'm serious. I had to pause it because <laughs> I was watching it in a public place and I didn't want to laugh too loud. And I was like, "This is so fucking good, yeah. man. This is super funny." I'm glad to hear it, but that, you don't know because uh, you know comedy is it's difficult because it's it's, it's hard. It's, it's, really, it's hard. really about how you know what in what mood the audience is at the moment. You know it can backfire at sometimes. You you never know, and especially yeah. if it's your first time. But uh, after that, we had they had to fill out a form and you know uh, give the film notes and how you know from one to ten how did they like it. And it actually, was like one of the harshest ones you got. Uh, it it was all good, and it was That's like awesome. like a dream because everyone liked it, and they had the company who does these test screenings for for many major uh, uh, German movies. They said they had the best test results for any German movie they had tested. So that was like holy the, shit! I man. was so relieved. You can't imagine. This was the best day, and it was. I mean, uh, prices and. Uh, you know, awards are nice, but that was really because it came from the audience. That's and it like was the real people yeah, saying, like, that was, you know, good. you're doing the film for, for the audience, and they said we liked it, and it was, uh, yeah, a big relief. Man, man. Um, okay, the, the last part about the goldfish that mm-hmm. I want to get to, um, I have some like because I wanted to ask some general things for people that are interested in film and interested in hearing more about you. And now I want to ask uh, a few nerdy things from <laughs> me, Jordan, to you, Ali. Um, I love the music choices, the music styling. I, I'm also, I know Carlos uh, oh, yeah. a little bit, okay. but I'm a big fan of his music. <laughs> and I was interested because the soundtrack reminds me so much of like The Secrets of My Success or, do you know that film from yeah. Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. or um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? <laughs> so I don't know if you had, a, like, if that was something that was introduced to you or if you were like, it's always going to be 80s pop. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm an I don't know if I'm an '80s kid. I mean, I was born in '86, but uh, I guess growing up in Iran, I was a couple of you know decades always <laughs> behind. <laughs> so, you know, we hadn't had you know we didn't have internet and all this stuff back then. So we listened. I listened a lot to to '80s music when I was a kid because my sisters were '80s kids basically, and they were a big influence artistically on me and what they listened to. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I think '80s were great. I, I think '80s w- was pr- one of the best decades. It fits of, of super the, well. <laughs> I was, you know, I didn't it, like when the, when the when the intro came on with the cool effect with the X rays, yeah, uh, which was really cool. And then you had this music. I was like, ah, I didn't expect it, mm-hmm. but it really suits. Mm-hmm. Now it, it's, yeah. it gives a whole tone, and yeah. that's really cool. And then also, um, man, I don't know who you're. I didn't check, or I, I forgot to check who your uh, DP was. But 
did you know from the beginning that you wanted this, this, this beautiful, rich saturation and this color tone? Because I think I don't see that very often in German films yeah. at all. Uh, the DP is Matthias Fleischer, who has birthday today, actually. I call, happy just birthday, him Matthias. Happy birthday, if you're listening to this, Matthias. And he is, uh, he wasn't, uh, he's experienced as a DP, but not, uh, he, had, he hadn't done that many comedies. Mm-hmm. And it was also a challenge for him to, you know, explore new, new areas and, we looked, we wanted to feel the images like, you know, real movies, not too uh, stylized. And, yeah. you know, uh, but at, at the same time to have that, fi- yeah. you know, uh, film look. And he worked with, uh, it's called, if you want to get nerdy, it's called lookup tables, Lutz. So and you can apply those. It's like a, basically like an Instagram filter. <laughs> really? So more or less, you know, in a simplified way, but yeah, you, know, yeah. you can, uh, you can choose. And it was kind of a Fuji, old Fuji stock, uh, feel that we chose. Oh, that's uh, interesting. and yeah, that's, that's why it, the film, you know, it has this crisp, so really and contra- crisp, yeah, uh, contrasting, but a little pale at, at the, at the same time when it comes to uh, skin tones and everything. Yeah, the skin but tones the, were a little pale, but yeah. the like the eye color was so rich and yeah. saturated. And the Blue was really saturated. Blue was, yeah, the green fields and stuff. It was like, yeah. I, I don't see a lot of German films yeah. with this kind of color tone. So I was curious if yeah. that was something you guys knew really early on or if it was something that came, yeah. came later. Um, is that you in the grocery store scene grabbing things out of the freezer? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yes! <laughs> yes! yes. The cameo, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I was kind of forced to do the by Tom Schilling, but uh, that's okay now for me. I, didn't I knew it, man. I knew it. I was like, I'm, I'm so certain that's out of it. Yeah. Um, I love the 2001 reference when in the bank scene. Um, very, very cool and really tasteful, actually, with the with the white walls and how you how you mm-hmm. pulled that off. Um, I guess I don't want to sound like every fucking film interview that you've had since this film came out, but... Is Kubrick an inspiration? Was that something that you did just to be funny, or was it something that you wanted to pay an homage? Uh, both, both, to be honest. I mean, I mean Kubrick is is really uh, he's for me. You know, all filmmakers aside, and you know, there's Kubrick on one side because I think he's probably the you know greatest filmmaker who has ever lived, and maybe you know will <laughs> you know he will stay unmatched. Uh, in the future, um, I don't know about it. So, in uh, you know, in this sense, he's not really an inspiration because when I watch his films, it's just okay. I, how the hell, <laughs> you know? You can't really decode. You know, you can't really understand how he does it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just like you know, his films f- for me come from another planet or so. You know, yeah. so he is, a, you know. Yeah, I, I admire him, but uh, I, I don't watch his films for inspiration because I can't find any. You watch it just for the joy of it. Yeah, I'm just in awe when I saw when I see his films. The idea with the reference 2001 in, in the in the you know bank was because we were looking for um, for a uh, room like this with vaults. Is it called vaults? Or yeah, the vault. Uh, yeah. The vault. And uh, we couldn't find any. And then suddenly uh, our location scout came up with this idea. It's a, uh, it's a bank in Starnberg near Munich. Okay. And we said, okay, that's like <laughs> not I've, I've imagined this room at all. So it's, it's <laughs> white and they, were, they had like plants in it. And I was going to ask if t- it was like a little set you made or if it was no, really – No, no, it wasn't. So it was really, you know, we, we 
we approached this uh, whole thing, 2001 thing, uh, one thing from from the other side because we were presented with, it was more or less our only choice. And I said, okay, this doesn't work with the concept I have in mind for the scene. Mm-hmm. But it, and I think my, my DP said, it's, he said it kind of looks like uh, this 60 uh, style, uh, you know, 2001 kind of sp- uh, spaceship uh, Design. Yeah, it fit really <laughs> well. Yeah, and I said, okay, let's let's try to enhance uh, this, you know, and we yeah. did a couple of things, not too much with with set design, and tried, you know, it was all in the camera, man. Those subtle camera yeah. turns, like the as if the module is rotating in yeah, space. Yeah. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> we had a, we, it was just tasteful. it was just like two lines in the script, but uh, you know, it was in, it was an inspiration, and we we had a lot of fun uh, filming that scene in this way. Um, and I think my last question, unless uh, Mo thinks of something that I've forgotten to cover, but is in the world somewhere camel talk therapy a real thing or did you make it up from scratch? <laughs> um, I, I thought, man, if you made that up, how did you come up with this idea? No, it is. Actually, in the, in the, in the original script, it was a um, – what is it called? It's not called horse therapy. It's called like the the official or Latin word for horses. Uh, it's therapy with horses. Basically, it was yeah. uh, in, in the original script. So it's a, it, that's the thing. That's a, that's a huge thing, and it actually is uh, uh, is it, it works quite well because her, horses can read your body language quite well better than than the therapist. So what the, th- the therapist actually do is they. Don't look at uh, their patients. They look at the horses and the way uh, the horse uh, reacts to their patient's uh, body movements. They can, so you know, sort indirectly, they can read what the problem might be. Oh my so, god! So uh, they're really good. In, the, the, the therapists are really good in reading. This is the legit. Bo- this is like a this big is legit. Thing. Yeah, and the, the, the ther- therapists are really good in reading the body language of the horse uh, of the horses. And they let their horses interact <laughs> with I their mean, patients, and, and by reading the you know horses, they can they can tell okay, I, I can feel a cramp you know somewhere down there or something. Like, I, I'm not you know that that kind this of an is, expert. This is wild to me. But uh, that was in I'm the original YouTube script. this when I yeah, <laughs> you should. yeah. There are a couple of interesting YouTube videos actually documentaries. But then we were looking for uh, you know a place to shoot it with you know some with a stable and horses, and then we came across. Camels of Bavaria, which is a thing. I thought this looks yeah. too real. It has to be a real <laughs> yeah, place. It and it is like 30 minutes from Munich. So, if you, so and, uh, you can go there and have, you know, 40 camels or so. And they do sort of the, offer therapy, which isn't, you know, legit therapy. That You know, it's just for people who are worked out or stressed out and they can sit on a camel and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ride around the uh, in the nature and come back and feel a little bit bit better, I guess. And that's the sort of therapy. I wasn't, you know, especially like I, I, I know it makes sense when he says, um, it's obvious why he doesn't want to ride. And then she says, no, we can do talk, we can do talk therapy. (laughs) And then I thought, okay, well either he's seen this somewhere and is using it as a method to get to exposing uh, the, yeah. the money, or it's um, well, well, or, it, the, or that part's made up to expose the money. Well, the talk you know? talk therapy is completely made up. This so it's someone okay. who talks. That's awesome. Who's supposed to talk to the camel? I've uh, haven't uh, you know encountered encountered so far. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that is. I bet yeah. that's somewhere there probably. probably. But um, <laughs> um, unless you can think of something, Mo, I think there's just uh, one little fun thing we wanted thing. to end with. Yeah, go ahead. 
Um, we haven't talked about it yet. It's a German production, but we broadcast for an international audience. Yeah. How are the chances for non-German um, viewers to see your movie? Yeah, book a Delta Airlines flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not kidding. No, I'm, I have a couple of relatives uh, in, in, the, in the States and they're always asking me, uh, how, could, you send us, could you send us a link or, or, or a DVD? Unfortunately, the German DVD and Blu-ray doesn't, don't have uh, English subtitles. Uh, um, that is something but, I, I've noticed that's really hard for... for yeah. I don't know why that's something that they don't think about with, with German streaming or with German films, but that's a huge untapped market, man. Yeah. There's so many things I would love to watch. Yeah. Yeah, so many, you're probably the only foreigner that's interested yeah, but in it. Actually, the, <laughs> no, funny, the, funny, the funny thing is a, a really nice lady from New York wrote me a couple of weeks ago that she was sitting in a Delta Airlines flight, that's why I know. And she, by accident, you know, clicked on, on the goldfish because she was curious and she uh, and she told me you know, a similar story that she had to, to pause, not to laugh out loud, to annoy her, yeah. her seat neighbors, which, you know... Uh, uh, which was nice to hear, but she asked me if I'd be interested to, you know, show the film in New York or something. So I, sh I you know, if she's listening to it right now, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hope so. I hope so, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I sent her a link and she said, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's give it a try. Maybe she'll find someone who could. And you guys have been uh, married ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's uh, that's a great question. Yeah, so it so we don't know exactly when, but hopefully, hopefully. I'll let you know if if there's any chance soon. If it's on on I don't know Amazon Prime US or or something. Uh, as far as I know, it's only available. Um, I, I mean, it's in Germany, and you can watch it on iTunes yeah. or or Amazon Amazon Prime or DVD or Blu-ray. But in yeah. America or other uh, other countries, I don't know, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Um, so final thing is just a little game. I'm going to yeah. ask you three film-related questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I want you to think from the gut, from the hip. You know, okay. there's no wrong answer. Okay. And uh, here we go. So um, if you could have written any famous film, any time that it was ever created, what film would you have wished you would have written? Mm, Sullivan's Travels by Preston Sturgis. I don't know if you've. Uh, that's if you know a that. super cool. I wouldn't have guessed that at all. <laughs> no, that's that's like my favorite old school. Uh, you know, dialogue. The dialogue is just amazing. This film. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you could be any Coen Brothers character from any film, who would it be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hard. They, they don't. You know, they're. They they suffer a lot, so I don't, that's true. I, I don't know if that. I want to. Maybe it's one from Caesar. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they suffer so less. I told Jordan before the only one I would want to be would be the cat from Inside Louis Davis. That's cheating. I'd probably be the the husband of of Francis McDormand in Fargo, who does yes. the, who does the paintings for for post for post stamps. You know, yes. this guy is like you know. <laughs> he has a okay, happy ending and, you know, nothing to worry about. <laughs> He's got such an easy, easy breezy life, yeah, man. Yeah, probably him. Uh, and final <laughs> one, what was your favorite film from the 2020 Oscar nominations? Uh, I mean, it's a bit obvious, but Parasite, definitely. Totally yeah, agree. I mean, yeah, I, it's amazing. Yeah, Parasite was just... It's like painfully good. Yeah. It's like... It's, yeah. Did you see Snowpiercer as well? Yeah, I've seen uh, actually uh, all uh, films of Frank Juno. And Mother is... Uh, I don't know if, she, if she's seen Mother. It, it's uh, it's my favorite. 
you know, second favorite after Parasite. Uh, no, I didn't see Mother. Yeah, he, he he also made that in Korea, so with Korean actors, and it's a great, it's a great. But this uh, isn't connected to the Darren Aronofsky Mother. No, 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 it's a okay. completely different story. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, well, cool, man. Then, um, would you want to? No, we don't. There's another mini game that we try sometimes, but I think this yeah. is good. This is just okay. yours, just designed for you. So, <laughs> thanks. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Really, thank from you. from my heart, thank you for spending time with us and uh, opening up about everything. And uh, yeah, go pleasure. see uh, go see the goldfish. It's available everywhere for streaming. And uh, thanks a lot, man. Thank you very much. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.